You're listening to Earshot from WXXI News. I'm Veronica Volk. This week, nursing schools are trying to admit and train more nurses to help ease a labor shortage that was made even worse by the COVID-19 pandemic. I think that nursing is seen very different now than it was 20 years ago. And a wildlife refuge in the Adirondacks loses its permits after years of violations. Are we angels? No. But they act like she's sitting there conniving, and it's ludicrous. All that from your local news podcast, Earshot. Support for Earshot from WXXI News is provided by Rock Vox Recording and Production, presenting Legacy Cast, audio and video recordings of loved ones telling their stories for posterity. Produced in a full service studio located in Bushnell's Basin. More at rocvox.com. Over the last couple years, a lot of people probably gained a new appreciation for nurses. They were hailed as heroes. They were on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic, putting their own health at risk while caring for others. And when hospitals were closed to visitors, nurses were often the lifeline between severely ill patients and their families. The stress of the pandemic led many nurses to quit or retire. But my colleague Beth Adams found others are ready to step in. She has this story. The skills lab at the University of Rochester School of Nursing looks just like a hospital unit. Hospital beds are separated by curtains. Students are breaking off into small groups where their instructors are walking them through a specific part of their training. Andrew Purley and Christian Tarantola are learning how to place a patient in restraints. Oh my gosh. Having problem, Andrew? Well, I got it right the first time. And what happened? Well, let's see. I think I did it again. Yeah, there you go. Good work. Yeah. Nice. All right, Andrew, teach me. They are both in their first semester of an accelerated program for people who are switching to nursing from a different career. Tarantola used to work in supply chain management at Xerox, but says the COVID-19 pandemic drove his decision to go back to school. When I saw what nurses do for people, uh, especially during a pandemic, this is potentially a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to deal with like this kind of disease. Hurley used to work as a lab technician, but he wanted a change. I was not really interested in like sitting behind the scenes to figure out the research. I wanted to do something. They're both fully aware that some healthcare professionals quit during the pandemic due to burnout and intense job pressures. It's definitely daunting to hear about but I want to try to welcome it as an opportunity and a challenge. If the latest enrollment trends at the UR School of Nursing are any indication, there are plenty of others who aren't scared off by concerns about COVID-19. Over the last three years, enrollment increased 47 percent. That's an encouraging sign when you consider that nursing staff levels are down 25 percent at hospitals throughout the UR medicine system. That's roughly twice the vacancy and turnover rates for nurses before the pandemic. The shortage affects everything from the number of patients who can be admitted to hospitals 
to wait times in the emergency department. It really has been magnified more specifically over the past couple months. And, you know, I think that, you know, we all have an obligation to try to increase the nursing workforce, but there, you know, we're really limited for a lot of reasons in, in how quickly we can do that. That's Kathy Rideout, dean of the UR School of Nursing. One of the limitations, she says, is space. The school is trying to accommodate more students by adding three more floors to the building, which are slated to open in the spring. The additional classroom space includes virtual technology, which will allow students to work on a scenario remotely or even through an app. This is needed because not as many students can train in clinical settings as they once did. COVID-19 safety concerns are part of the reason for that. Another factor is the level of care that patients require. One situation really has been in psychiatry, um, in the behavioral health units. You know, we used to be able to have a group of eight students on those units. They're down now to three to four students. Just because the complexity of having more people on a unit can be much more distracting to the care that's being provided. And it's not just space that's needed for training. In some nursing schools, a shortage of teaching staff is an ongoing problem. Rideout says that is not the case at the University of Rochester because it's part of an academic health center with nursing professionals who can combine clinical work with teaching or transition from one to the other. We have not had a situation where we couldn't admit students because we don't have faculty. You know, that has never been an issue for us. But this is a problem in other local institutions. We don't have enough nursing faculty. That's Kathleen Peterson. She chairs the nursing department at SUNY Brockport. Brockport has four faculty openings right now, and Peterson says she has few qualified applicants. She says there's a big drop in pay for a nurse moving from clinical work to teaching. If I were a full-time pediatric nurse practitioner right now, my guess is I would be making close to 130000 or more. But to move to academia, I might be making 80000 Nurse educators also need to have a master's degree or a Ph.D., which not everyone can afford. When it comes to the clinical workplace, Karen Cady, chief nursing executive at UR Medicine, believes a team approach is what will probably be needed to make a real dent in the nursing shortage. I think the path out is going to be not necessarily more nurses, more nurses, but developing a different care model and give them other support people around them. That's going to be the long-term solution. That might mean expanding the roles of nursing assistants and patient care technicians. Despite the many challenges they face, most of the administrators and students I talk to are optimistic about the future of the profession. Peterson has seen nursing undergo a lot of changes since she started her career in the 1970s. I think that nursing is seen very different now than it was 20 years ago. I think 20 years ago, many people thought it was a handmaiden job. At the same time, University of Rochester nursing student Andrew Purley is worried that current attitudes are eroding people's trust in healthcare professionals. We've seen a lot of like medical disinformation being spread specifically because of COVID and um, because of the vaccines. And I think there's a lot of fear and hesitation that these patients are experiencing. And I'm just worried that we as nurses aren't going to be as trusted to give the sort of quality health care that I think patients deserve. Hurley says this is his biggest fear as he gets ready to enter the field. But he doesn't seem intimidated by this. 
And once he starts working as a nurse, he says he hopes he can use his experience in clinical research to ease people's fears. Beth Adams is the host of Morning Edition on WXXI News. If you want to see pictures from inside the skills lab at URMC, check out Beth's full story at our website, wxxinews.org. Hi, this is Evan Dawson from WXXI, and if you're enjoying Earshot, then you'll want to subscribe to our other podcast, Connections with Evan Dawson. That's me. On the podcast, you can catch up on discussions about current events, arts, politics, and interesting people. Subscribe to Connections with Evan Dawson, where you subscribe to Earshot from WXXI News. For years, the Adirondack Wildlife Refuge in Wilmington, New York, was a place where people could go to learn about and see animals like wolves and bears that were kept on the land. But today, there are no more wild animals at the refuge. After years of violations, the state took away the facility's permits and ordered the owners to rehome about a dozen wild animals. North Country Public Radio's Emily Russell visited the refuge and looked into what unfolded there over more than a decade. She has this story. The Adirondack Wildlife Refuge is on a wooded plot of land in Wilmington. It's surrounded by a tall chain-link fence that's so new it still has its tags on it. Uh, Glad I brought the keys. This is the perimeter fence. That's Steve Hall. He and his wife, Wendy, have owned the Wildlife Refuge for decades. This cost us $140,000 to do. The fence was installed earlier this year after the state adopted new safety regulations. We walk through the gate and Hall points to a big green cage for a bobcat, which is also new, he says. And as you can see, it's beautiful. It's ergonomic, it's built for the animal, it would have been a great place for him to live, but he's gone. We walk up the path surrounded by tall pine trees. Hall points to the other cages around us. Three more, brand new enclosures, all the animals gone. The animals have all been rehomed to wildlife sanctuaries around the country. These enclosures and the new fence ended up being too little too late. The D.C. declined to be interviewed for this story, but said in a statement that the halls made the upgrades about a year after the regulations were put in place and after they were told their permits were being revoked. Records from the D.C. show violations at the Adirondack Wildlife Refuge dating back to 2006. Animals were taken from the wild and put on display. Wolves and bears escaped. Bears and birds didn't have the right licenses or tagging. The facility's logbooks were incomplete. Housing for the animals didn't meet safety standards. All of the animal permits were registered with Steve's wife, Wendy Hall. It is a bureaucracy. I recognize that, and I did not do a good job. It was never my intent to hurt anything. Wendy says she was just doing what she thought was right for the animals. Additional records obtained by the Adirondack Explorer show a number of violations involving bald eagles, which are a federally protected species. Wendy remembers one time when someone brought an injured eagle to the refuge. The whole wing was torn out and it was suffering and it was unbalanced. 
Anyone who comes into possession of a bald eagle, whether it's dead or alive, is required to report it to authorities within 24 hours. Wendy didn't do that. Instead, she had her vet euthanize the bird. And he said, do you want me to bury it with the tractor? And without thinking that this animal's got to be reported, I, I, I knee-jerk reacted. And at that point, they buried it, and I got in huge trouble. So that's a major violation. Wendy owns these violations now. She says she didn't follow the rules. But her husband Steve sees it a bit differently. He thinks the authorities overreacted. First of all, bald eagles are not even remotely endangered. There's as many bald eagles in America today as there were when the pilgrims got here. Second of all, how egregious is this as a violation? What would the DEC do? It's not like they're going to come down and rehab it. The D.C. says that is basically what they would have done. They say they would have sent the eagle to be looked at by a licensed wildlife rehabber. Zach Layden from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service says state and federal regulations for wildlife are there to make sure the animals get the best care possible. Plus, he says those regulations are updated all the time with the latest data. We work with you know, the latest scientific researchers, experts in animal welfare and and care. And these standards are there for the well-being of the animals. And rehabbers know that. Wildlife sanctuaries not only provide a place for animals to get rehab, but they're also an important educational tool. For years, students and other visitors have come to the Adirondack Wildlife Refuge and learned about bears and wolves and owls. Out of a thousand reviews on Google and Facebook, this place has nearly five stars. But it's empty now. There are no more wild animals, no more visitors. I ask Steve if he regrets their violations. Oh, I regret that. But I had nothing to do with any of that. Uh, uh, oh, we did, we did lie to the DEC once. You got to understand. Over what? Uh, it, over, the, over the first bear escape. Learning tonight about two black bears that escaped from the Adirondack Wildlife Refuge in Wilmington earlier this week. Local 22 in Vermont and a lot of other news outlets covered that 2019 escape. Then the bears escaped again earlier this year. Are we angels? No. But they act like she's sitting there conniving, and it's ludicrous. If you get to know my wife, you realize that's not what she does. For years, what Wendy did here was work with the animals, feeding and rehabbing them. Today, she's sitting in an Adirondack chair behind her house at the refuge. Wendy found out earlier this year she has cancer. She says now she's trying to focus on the next chapter of this place. I want to make sure, as much as I can, that this place continues without me, which it absolutely can, Everything I think about is the refuge. Wendy and Steve hope a new team of animal rehabbers can come in and lease their property. The D.C. says it is reviewing permit applications, but wouldn't say anything more. The future of this place is clouded by a messy reality. Steve and Wendy have a deep passion for wildlife. They own a facility built for wild animals and for visitors. But for years, they violated state and federal regulations. And ultimately, it's up to those regulators to decide whether the Adirondack Wildlife Refuge has a future. Emily Russell is a reporter for North Country Public Radio. Since this story was first produced, state officials have denied a permit application from an outside organization to host wild animals on the refuge. The DEC cited the facility's past violations as one reason for that rejection. 
You can find more stories from the North Country at northcountrypublicradio.org. And that's it for Earshot. If you like the show, or even if you don't, send us a message at earshot at wxxi.org. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so new episodes will show up in your feed every Friday. Find even more local news stories on our website, wxxinews.org. Music this week from Blue Dot Sessions and Poddington Bear. I'm Veronica Volk. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of member-supported WXXI Public Broadcasting, Rochester, New York.